Well, boxing legend Muhammad Ali was known for his braggadocious personality. If you ever saw any clips of Muhammad Ali, he was always telling everybody how he was the greatest. And it wasn't just limited to the boxing ring, it was just part of his persona. Everywhere he went, he loved to shout, I'm the greatest. And one day he boarded a plane, and as they were giving the final instructions and preparing for takeoff, uh, as you know, you have to buckle up and do all the other things, stow your gear away, and the flight attendant saw that Muhammad Ali hadn't buckled his seatbelt. So she comes over and says, Mr. Ali, you need to uh, buckle up so we can take off. And Ali looked up at her and he said, uh, Superman don't need a seatbelt. And uh, without missing a beat, she responded back, Superman don't need an airplane either, so buckle up. <laughs> and having uh, met his match, he did so. Well, as we turn in our Bible today to Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 24, what we're going to see is there's an argument among the disciples as to which of them is the greatest. And Jesus doesn't tell them to buckle their seatbelts, but instead what he does is say, you need to learn to quit trying to fight for the top spots, fighting to be first. Instead, you need to seek to serve others. So I invite you to look with me now as we read Luke 22, 24 through 30. It says, And there arose also a dispute among them as to which of them was regarded to be the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you, but the one who is greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant to you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, as we're looking at this, let me remind you of the setting. If you were here last Sunday, you remember we walked through the Passover Seder. We saw that Jesus was uh, reclining around the table with the disciples, celebrating the Passover. And the Passover, as we saw, was a time where they remembered God's deliverance of the nation of Israel from bondage in Egypt. It was also a time where Jesus was pointing them ahead to the ultimate deliverance coming as he went to the cross. Jesus was about to give his life, uh, shedding his blood on the cross to wash away our sins. And he pointed to that. And we saw where we get our communion service through the Passover Seder, the cup and the bread that was used there. And at that dinner, you'll remember that he also had gotten up to wash the disciples' feet because uh, that was the job that normally the lowest servant would do. But as they came in, there was no servant, and the disciples, as we see, are fighting about who's the greatest. So it was Jesus Christ who had to get up and humble himself and wash their feet. Now, before all that, he told them that leading up to the crucifixion, he would be betrayed. And he doesn't point out that it's Judas in particular uh, that's going to hand him over. But as you look at Luke twenty-two twenty-one through 22, this is what it says. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Now, as you look at Mark's account, you see in Mark fourteen nineteen that it says, They began to be grieved and say to him one by one, Surely it is not I. As each disciple looks at one another, they deny they're the one to deny Jesus. And as they're doing this, they're looking around the table and they're going, I wonder which one it is. And you can picture somebody 
Maybe looking over at Thomas, and he's thinking, well, you know, that guy's doubting everything. I, maybe, maybe he's the one. And then you've got Simon the Zealot. And so somebody's thinking, well, that guy's got a big mouth. He's always stirring up trouble. I, I bet he might be the one who's going to do it. And all around the room, they're giving each other these side-eye glances. And Luke twenty-two twenty-three says, they begin to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who is going to do this thing. And as they're looking at each other, maybe somebody catches the other guy looking at them. And they lock eyes and he's like, are you kidding me? You think it's me? It's not me. I'm loyal to Jesus. I gave up everything to follow him. Remember, I left my boat and my nets to follow the Lord. And then Matthew kind of chuckles on the other end of the table. And he turns, "What, what are you laughing about? Matthew says, you gave up a boat, big deal. I gave up my tax collecting business. I was making so much money that I could buy a fleet of your boats. And then you've got uh, Andrew who's sitting there saying, yeah, well, my brother Simon and I, we were the first to follow Jesus. We've been with him from the start. And then you've got James and John not to be outdone, and they say, well, we were with Peter. Jesus took us three up to the Mount of Transfiguration. We saw him in his glory. You guys didn't see that. And suddenly what happens is they've gone from trying to prove that they're loyal to one-upping each other as to who is the greatest among them. Now, unfortunately, this isn't the first time something like this has happened. I just mentioned the three disciples who went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that earlier in the Gospel of Luke, back in chapter 9, we saw this. And as the three of them came down with Christ from the mountain, you'll remember there was a crowd that was there. And the other nine disciples were there with a a boy who had been brought who was demon-possessed, and they weren't able to to cast out the demon. And the crowds are there, and everything's happening. And as Jesus comes up, uh, Luke 9, 43 through 46 tells us, And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Jesus casts this demon out, and it says they see the greatness of God. But while everyone was marveling at all that he was doing, he said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. For the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this statement, and it was concealed from them, so that they would not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this statement. And then this verse that follows says, And an argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest. Remember there in Luke chapter 9, Jesus has just said, We're on the way to Jerusalem, or I'm going to die. And now here in Luke 22, he is in the the upper room celebrating the Last Supper right before he goes to the garden where he's going to be betrayed and he rested and die. He's, He's held up a cup, you'll remember, the cup of redemption, and he said, this is my blood which is shed for you. Drink it in remembrance of me. He, he, he held up the bread, the matzah, and he said, this represents my body that is being given for you. Jesus has just said, I'm going to die. He told them in, earlier in Luke, I'm going to die. And in both places, rather than compassion, a competition breaks out. It's like Groundhog Day all over again. Every time Jesus says, I'm going to die, they say, well, who's the greatest? Now, we, we read something like this, and we shake our heads at the disciples, and we go, these guys, why didn't they get it? But what about us? How often do we miss who God is and what he's done for us because we're so wrapped up in who we are and what's going on in our own little worlds. Benjamin Franklin once said that uh, a person who's wrapped up in himself makes a very small package. 
person who's wrapped up in himself makes a very small package. And to get their eyes off themselves here, what happens is Jesus takes a small child. As you look back at Luke 9, 47 through 48, it says, But Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their hearts, he took a child, and he stood him by his side, and he said, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me, God the Father. For the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. Jesus says in God's kingdom, the example of greatness is a child. A little child, helpless, dependent, without status, one who's living by faith. Now there's a big difference between being childlike and childish. And the disciples were childish. They were fighting among themselves. They were like little boys playing king of the hill. Did you ever do that? My three brothers and I would get up on a on a dirt pile, and we'd push each other down, and there was always, you know, whoever, whoever got to the top was king of the hill, and you would, you would just throw other people down so you could take that place. As we look at Luke twenty two twenty five, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors, but it is not this way with you, but the one who is greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the servant. Jesus says, look, I know how the world operates. You know, in our day, we talk about climbing the corporate ladder. And that day, they, they thought about pyramids. And the person who was on top, you know, moved up the levels, and they got to the top. And, and Jesus says, what you need to do is you need to turn this pyramid upside down. He says, the kings of the Gentiles, they like to be on top and look down over everybody. They see people as disposable stepping stones who are there just to serve them. And it wasn't just the Gentile leaders. Remember back in Luke 21, he, he talked about the religious Jewish leaders. And he said, these guys like the seats of honor. They like the honorific titles. They like all the status and privilege and, and the things as, as people are praising them. You know, what the world tells us is climb the ladder, move up the pyramid, get to the top. Because as you get higher, the higher you get, the perks are higher. The salary, the pay, the places with a view. Now, now listen, there's nothing in and of itself that's bad with that. God is not telling you uh, not to try to get promoted, not to seek a higher paycheck. But he says, don't make that the focus of who you are and what you're doing. God's not against those things. If you look at 1 Timothy five seventeen through 18, God tells us, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. This is a ministry context. Jesus is saying to those in ministry, it's not wrong to get paid for the work you do. It's not wrong that some are paid more than others. Jesus takes this general principle to everything. God says, pay people for the work they do. And when you do, it's okay to have compensation commensurate with what they do. If there's greater responsibility, if there's greater stresses, if there's greater things, there should be greater compensation. God is not against that. If you're the owner of a business, if you're a man or woman who's built a company or manages uh, large you know, organizations or people, God says you should be given higher compensation for the higher headaches that you have. Uh, there was a Christian businessman by the name of Fred Smith. And he tells of a time he was once again leaving late at night from the factory he owned. And he was the last one out the door as usual. 
And the, uh, the night watchman was there. And as he saw him, he, he said, Mr. Smith, I sure would like your money. But then he said, there's no way I'd take the headaches and the hours that go with it. You know, anybody here who's in a place of leadership knows that if people work for you, you work for them. Do you know what I'm talking about? If people work for you, you work for them. Because you have to make payroll. You have to come up with benefits. You have to deal with the, the, the things that are going on in the lives of the people who work for you, whether it's at work or even at home because it spills over into the office. And that's not a bad thing. That's okay. Because that's part of what leadership is. An anonymous person once said, if serving others is below you, then leadership is beyond you. If serving others is below you, then leadership is beyond you. You know that. People who are in the military, who are higher up in the chain of command, have been told, you don't eat until your troops eat. The logistics need to be taken care of by the officers. People, as I said, who are in, in places of management or leadership have to make payroll and benefits and things. There's a pyramid and there's a hierarchy, but what God says is you need to turn that pyramid upside down. The people at the top are not there to be served by everybody below. He says you should serve everyone else if you're at the top. As we're looking at what Jesus is talking about today, the problem was not that there was uh, uh, something like a pyramid. The problem was with the leaders who were lording it over those below them. They said, you're disposable stepping stones. You're here simply to serve us. I want you to notice that in this passage, Jesus doesn't rebuke the disciples because they had a desire to be great. He doesn't rebuke the disciples. He redirects their focus. He says, do you want to be great? He says, here's how you become great. You seek opportunities to serve others. In Luke twenty two twenty seven, Jesus said, for who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? Jesus was at the head of the table. But as we saw and talked about last week, he got up from the table. He walked over and he stripped himself of his clothing. He wrapped a towel around himself. This is how uh, John thirteen four through 5 tells us. It says, Jesus got up from supper. He laid aside his garments. He took a towel, girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. You recall that that job was the, the lowest of the low job. The, the lowest servant was the one who was told to come in and wash people's feet as they walked in off the road with the, the dirt and the grime and the, the animal droppings and other things that were all over their feet. And after Jesus does this, John 12 through 15 goes on to tell us, So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Jesus says, I'm at the top. I'm God. You don't get any higher than me. And he says, I was willing to go down, 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 down to the lowest servant's place, and wash your feet. He said, I gave you an example. Do to others what I did to you. 
Many of you have heard of the Navigators. It's a Christian ministry that's known for discipleship, the emphasis on discipleship. And there was a, a president at one time named Lorne Sani. He was president of the Navigators, and Sani was a great model of discipleship, including being a servant leader. And one day a prominent businessman came to him, and knowing Sani's uh, servant attitude, and he said, I'm working on this in my own life. And he said, I'm, I'm wondering, how do you know when you uh, truly have the attitude of a servant. And Sandy told him, well, how you act when somebody treats you like a servant. How many of us here have ever been treated like a servant by somebody? And you immediately think, do they know who I am? If they only knew who I was in this organization, if they only knew who, who I am and what I do around here, do you get upset? Or do you stop and say, wow, what a privilege that I got treated like Jesus. I got treated like a servant. Now, I'm sure that there's somebody out there thinking, you know, Roger, this is all great for church. But I live out in the real world. I I work out in corporate America. I work out in a a dog-eat-dog world. And all this stuff about serving others won't cut it in the marketplace. I've been out in the real world, too. And I've also read a lot about the real world. And can I tell you something? The data disagrees with you. If you think that this stuff we're talking about today uh, will not work out in the workplace, uh, I want you to listen to a couple of things here. These are, these are studies, data and studies, have been done at places like Yale and Harvard. There are best-selling business books like Good to Great, Level 5 Leadership. There are corporate consultants like Patrick Lencioni or Jim Collins. And all say the best-performing companies and organizations have leaders and values based upon the model of a towel and basin style of leadership that Jesus demonstrated. Did you hear that? The best-performing companies and organizations have leaders and values based upon the model of a towel and basin style of leadership that Jesus demonstrated. There's a guy by the name of Ken Blanchard. He's a a leadership consultant as well. He's written 65 books on leadership that have sold a combined 21 million copies. Do you think anybody's reading his stuff? Anybody listening to Ken Blanchard, the one-minute manager and things? Well, one of his books he wrote is called Leading at a Higher Level. And Blanchard says, My travels over the years through organizations of all shapes and sizes have convinced me that the right kind of leadership is servant leadership. This is a leadership not based on false pride or fear, but one that is grounded in humility and focused on the greater good. Now, again, somebody may be sitting here saying, yeah, I hear that. But you let me try to do that where I am and see what happens. If I start serving others, I'm going to become a doormat. People are going to walk over me. If I hold a door for somebody, then a whole line of people are going to cut in. Uh, and, and get ahead. I'm going to be trampled underfoot. I'm going to be this doormat. It's this cutthroat game in the, the place that I am, and everybody's operating according to the world's way. And I get that. I know that happens. But if you're worried about being left behind because you're putting others first and serving others, I want to remind you of what we saw earlier in the Gospel of Luke. Back in Luke 14:7, you remember Jesus told a parable there about uh, a dinner. And he said there were people who were coming in and taking the top seats. They were, they were running in and grabbing the best seats. And do you remember what happened? God said those people will get humbled. 
Because later they'll be moved down the line and they'll be given the least honorable places. Another passage you can look at is in Matthew chapter 20 and verses 21 through 28. They're the mother of the sons of Zebedee. These were two of the disciples of Jesus, James and John. And uh, these, this, this mom comes to Jesus and says in Luke 20, 21, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit on your right and one on your left. And Jesus said, You do not know what you are asking. And he turned to her sons, James and John, and he said, Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they said, We are able. And he said to them, My cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and my left, this is not mine to give, but is for those to whom it has been prepared by my Father. And I love this next verse. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. (laughs) These guys are like, Your mom got in called shotgun before we could. You know, that's what they're mad about. And so Jesus, it says, called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Starting to hear a theme in Jesus' teaching? You know, it's easy for us to worry about who's getting ahead, who's in front of us, and whether or not God really sees what's going on. And God says, relax. God sees everything. He knows what you're doing. He knows what other people are doing. And this is what Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10 tells us. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work. And the love which you have shown toward his name and having ministered and still ministering to the saints. God says, I see what you're doing and I will reward you in the right time. Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 through 11 tell us, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As we're talking about the world saying, race to the top and grab the glory God says he did the opposite. He was at the top. And it said he went down, down, down. It says he left his throne in heaven. The creator became a part of the creation. He took on physical form, flesh and blood like we have. Now, we saw last week why he had to do that. Because he had to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He had to have blood to shed to wash away our sins. Hebrews tells us without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. He gave his life so that we could have the gift of eternal life. But it meant that God had to take on physical form, the limitations of what you and I as men and women experience as he walked this earth. When he was born, he didn't come into the world in, in full, big stature like a Shaquille O'Neal. Remember, he was, he was born as a baby, helpless. He had to have his diapers changed. He had to have somebody care for him. And as he grew... He was humble. 
He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. We saw it as he washed the feet of the disciples at the meal. He served in so many ways, and ultimately, he went even down further because it says that he went to the cross. The cross, which was the Roman method of execution reserved for the lowest and the worst of the criminals. The most humiliating way to die, stripped naked, beaten, bloodied, hanging there, people walking by, mocking you, suffocating as you're hanging there in excruciating pain. And after he died, he went even further down because he was buried in the ground, put in a tomb in a cave, a rock rolled across it. He was, he, and just when it looked like there was no, you know, God went from heaven all the way down to being in the earth. And at the moment where he went all the way down, he was exalted, elevated all the way up. He was given the name above all names. He rose from the dead. He came out of the grave alive. After he walked the earth for 40 days, showing himself to the, everybody that he was alive, it says he's ascended into heaven where he's seated at the right hand of God, waiting to return to establish his kingdom here on earth, his kingdom where he will reward those who have lived for him. It says God highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name. Now that's counter to everything the world says. The world says if you want to go higher, then then you climb and you claw and you self-promote and you push and you fight and you knock other people down. According to the world, the way up is up. But according to God, the way up is down. And when we think of what God did in terms of exalting his son, he tells us he will do that for those who are his servants as well, those who belong to him and live like he calls us to. 1 Peter 5, 6 tells us, Humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. If you think doing what God is calling us to do today means you're going to miss out, that somehow you're going to end up on the bottom of the pile and, and, and you're going to miss out on everything that, that life has to offer. I want you to look again at Luke 22, verses 28 through 30. There Jesus, after telling them to be servants, he says, You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus ends this lesson on leadership by being a servant of saying, uh, this is not what it's all about. This world is is not what it's all about. I'm going to give you an illustration. It's something I shared about a year and two months ago. So some of you may remember this. Others of us can't remember what we had for breakfast. So uh, maybe you don't remember this illustration. But I want you to think in terms of this rope representing time. Now, you see it's a really long rope, and so, you know, time goes on and on and on. Time is not just limited to our world. The, the Bible tells us that time is eternal, so I want you to imagine that as long as this rope is, that it's infinite, because time just continues on and on. Now, you see at the end here that I've, I've got a little black piece of tape that I've put on here. Now, this black piece of tape you can think of in terms of representing our lifetime here on earth, maybe a hundred years. Some people will live a little longer, some people less. But in terms of our life, you've got a hundred years. And so for those who are younger, uh, maybe you're over here at the beginning, right? When babies are born, they're here. 
my son who's on the front row is 14. He's about here. Some of you are in your 20s or 30s. Maybe you're here. I've moved past the midpoint here. Uh, there's a man in our first service, Bill Gosselin, came up and said, I'm 95 years old this week. And I told him happy birthday. So Bill's right here at 95. Uh, so I want you to think of this as your dash. You know what your dash is? Have you ever seen a tombstone? It has that little dash in the middle, year you were born, year you die. So here's your dash. And what the world tells us is, as we live our lives, this is what everything is about. This is it. And so you need to grab everything you can while you're here. You need to fight for position and promotions and possessions and, you know, bigger paychecks. You know, this is, this is it. But what God is telling us is, there is a time coming when you will die. All of us are going to die one day. So when your hundred years is over, the Bible says because we're made in the image of God, we're eternal. We will either be with him for all eternity or some will be separated from God for all eternity in a place that we call hell, the lake of fire. And so when your hundred years is over, imagine the next hundred years in eternity. And then there's another hundred years. And then there's a thousand years. And then there's a hundred thousand years. And then there's a million years. And then there's a billion years. And then there's a trillion years. And on and on and on it goes. And so many of us are living according to the world's way because it says this is it. And what Jesus is telling the disciples and us today is, men and women, boys and girls, this is not it. What we do with this, our dash, will determine what all of this looks like for us. Jesus says there's a kingdom coming. We've talked about that earlier in Luke. There's something called the millennial kingdom, a thousand-year physical reign of Jesus here on the earth. There is a literal kingdom that will be here on earth. And those of us who have lived our dash well will have responsibilities in that thousand-year kingdom. And then beyond that is the eternal state where the new heavens and the new earth are created and we're with God for all eternity. So as you're thinking about your hundred years, what you're doing with your dash, Jesus says when your life on earth is over, what you've done with your life here on earth will determine what your rewards are. He tells the disciples, you've walked around with me. You've, you've endured the trials with me. You're going to, uh, all but John suffered uh, martyrdom. And he says, you will experience things because you've walked with me. We are not walking physically with Jesus on the earth here in our presence, but we are walking with him. The Holy Spirit lives within us. We live for him. He's given us instructions how we're, on how we're to live. And as we walk with him now, as we live our lives, we're called to do it the way he did, as we saw in Philippians 2. With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. He says, what you do with that little bit of time you have here on earth, I will reward you for if you've lived for me, if you've been faithful. So with that perspective, I want you to think about your own life this morning. We're about to go to God in prayer. I want you to think about your life and how you've been living it and what you've been doing. And I want you to ask yourself, are you living your life for the Lord? 
Are you doing it the world's way where you're clawing to the top, trying to push everybody down off the, the little pyramid? You're the king of the hill? Or are you going to turn the pyramid upside down and recognize that we're not here to lord it over anybody? People are not disposable stepping stones. But instead, we're here to serve one another. I want you to consider that as we go to prayer. In a few moments, I'll close this in prayer. So let's go to God. Ask him to reveal to you what's going on in your life and ask him for the changes that you might need to make. Let's pray. Lord God, as we think about how we're living our lives, we thank you that you've given your life for us. You came and you died on a cross, paying the penalty of death, so that we could have a place with you in all eternity in heaven. Father, as men and women, as boys and girls who have fallen short, we owe a penalty of death called sin. And as you saw us in our helpless estate, you came and you took our place, going to the cross, shedding your blood to pay the penalty of death that we owed. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone here this morning who's not yet received your son, that today they would see their need. They would recognize just how great your love for them was and that you died for them. You tell us in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We thank you, God, that you took our place so that we could have a place with you in heaven. And Father, for those who are here who belong to you, sons and daughters who have been adopted into the family, may we imitate you. May we live according to the example you gave us. You, God, left your throne in heaven to come to earth. You served us while you walked among us. You showed us how to live our lives in a way that would imitate and reflect you. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to do that. I know there are men and women here in the military who struggle at times with the people who have been placed over them or for those who may be under them. Would you help them to be servant leaders? Father, for those who work in the service industry, in a place that is often thankless, restaurants, fast food institutions, uh, dealing with dirty clothes or trash, various things that people do, would you help them, Lord, to remember as you tell us in your word that whatever we do, do our work heartily is for the Lord because we're serving you, God. It's not the boss. It's not the paycheck. We're serving you. Father, for those who serve in homes, would we remember that even divine service is rendered when we're washing dishes and dealing with the dust in a house? Because, again, we're serving you. So, Father, would you help us to look like your son, to be servants, to take up the towel in the basin, to wash one another's feet, because you did that for us. God, we love you and thank you. We pray you would lead and guide us in these things. In Jesus' holy name, amen.